you're going to talk about at a discussion. You want to do that at the end? I'll take or? care of that. Okay. It'll be during the middle of it. All right. Hello, and welcome to our April installment of film reviews for and now something completely machinima. I am Damien Valentine, and I'm joined by Phil Rice. Hello. Ricky Grove. Hey there. And Tracy Harwood. Hi. So this month, we are going to be looking at films made with iClone. And um, one of the things that kind of stood out to me a little bit was it's very difficult to actually choose some because there are lots of people doing very short experimental videos, you know, to show off what it can do, but not too many people actually making films. So I think we will struggle a little bit to find something. So um, I hope you enjoy our selection. And Ricky, would you like to start with your choice? Yeah, um, I decided to um, shoot, uh, you know, it was odd. Uh, after going through Second Life, we had an abundance of choices, but then coming to Real Illusions iClone Machinima, uh, we were frustrated uh, for all the reasons that uh, Damien just outlined. So I decided to go back a bit and get a, a choose an older film that won in a, a Real Illusion uh, contest at the time from 2009. And I wanted to get it in contrast so we could look at where uh, iClone came from to where it is today because some of the other, uh, some of you have all picked up c contemporary films. Uh, and the film that I chose is called The Sniper by Warlord, uh, created in iClone 4 in 2009. Now I'm friends with Warlord, his name is M.D. McCallum, and uh, I contacted him to ask him to give me some comments about it. So after my initial comments, I'm gonna read some of the things that he said about making this film. Um, I don't think it's a great machinima film, but it's an interesting machinima film. It uh, disguises the flaws of the iClone system, iClone 4 system, really well. Um, the sound editing is excellent. Uh, the story drags a bit and is a little sentimental. And has that universal problem that machinima filmmakers have, which is they always move the camera. They're always, you know, some some dolly shots, some push in, some pull out. It's always moving. Um, so if you're a machinima filmmaker, think twice about doing moving camera shots. Also, the editing, better editing, would have made the film uh, better. It would have tightened the uh, uh, story quite a bit. There's a long section where uh, where the uh, sniper. It's a World War II film. The sniper is assigned to take out this high-level German um, uh, commander, and of course he's you know he's doing his little crawl through it, and I think there's the crawl just seems to go on forever, <laughs> you know. It has a surprisingly downbeat ending. Music is really good, and it's from of all things the movies and Fallout Three, and I thought I would really read to you some of the things that uh, uh, MD wrote to me. He said, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about the sniper was how difficult it was to put together back in 2009 with iClone 4. He said, I was spoiled by 3D Studio Max, but I chose not to use it except to make props. 
to because because to me that was not machinima if you use industry tools. Uh, there was not a good way to blend different motion clips and no curve editor, so the animation jumped from motion to motion. This was very hard to miss transitions between mo uh, motions that identify iClone work from smoother game footage. He said the newsreel opening was done in black and white to make it very easy to blend the game and iClone footage with no color grading or extra work. With no volumetric lighting, I had to use flashing, low opacity, stretched cone to recreate the flickering in the projector light and the visual light cone. For the scene of the bombers and the fighters flying in formation, I moved the sky, actually a prop, instead of the airplanes as iClone couldn't handle moving airplanes. Mm -hmm. A cringe moment for me was when uh, what became known as the crawl to some of my friends. It seemed like I had the sniper crawl forever to a bombed out house that went way beyond the bounds of proper timing. <laughs> For cinematic purposes, it was too long and ran the risk of losing the audience or dampening the intensity. Having been through tons of professional scripts as a freelancer, I should have known that timing was way off. The sniper and the officer would both die, but the story allowed me not to reveal until the end that bit to add a bit more depth, something that humanized both of them to the same level. He said, all of these years, I still remember the flaws over anything, but I still think um, it's not a bad film. He used Call of Duty, World at War, gameplay footage, the movie's music, and Fallout 3, bombed out buildings and music. And I asked him, what did he think uh, it would be like if he could make it in uh, iClone 7 today? And he said, well, if I did this today with version 7, it would be a totally different experience and could be produced in a fraction of the time with more time devoted to being creative. The lighting would have been much better instead of a flat cartoony and motions would have been blended seamlessly. Almost all of those limitations have been removed since then. And version eight, when it's released, will take production to another level. So those are his comments on the film. I wanted to get you your feedback on uh, the sniper guys. Can I start? <laughs> Do you know what I I uh, I hear what he's said on that and what and what your comments are, and clearly you know it's got all the kind of the, the classic war movie war movie tropes that you can possibly imagine. They're all kind of in there. Yeah. Um, and yes, it is long, but it definitely has a way of building the tension through that kind of soundscape design and the music selection as well as the, the way that he narrated it intermittently. So a yes. little bit of action, a little bit of narration, a little bit of something else. And it, it kind of, you know, so, so I actually thought it started out really quite slowly. But then by about halfway through, it started to take me along with it a little more. I'm guessing after the scene where he'd been crawling forever. <laughs> after that, it kind of kind of speeded up a bit, probably. Yeah. Um, I actually think it really does show its date, though, in terms of the aesthetic design and the animation and whatnot. Um, but it's generally quite watchable, bizarrely, from my point of view, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I found it. I found it enjoyable and and a little nostalgic, having been producing Machinima at that time too. Um, the for me, the newsreel section was my favorite part. Um, it's it's kind of funny to hear him talking about it. Almost that that he went with the black and white and the flicker to 
to to disguise you know different sources of footage that never even occurred to me watching it i just mm -hmm. i just thought oh that's that's pretty well done and you're right ricky the sound was good the music was a good choice there's one scene that that kind of made me laugh because it's it's the kind of mistake that that i would make as well um in addition to the uh the restless camera syndrome uh, which i struggled with for for many years but there's one of those moves in particular where it's some soldiers uh, uh, in a bunker shooting one of the big machine guns and the camera pans to where it's right in front of this shooting machine gun as it goes by. And it just kind of jarred me out of, you know, this, this, this feel of let's recreate some news footage to this <laughs> impossible shot of the <laughs> camera moving right into the line of fire. And it kind of made me chuckle. I mean, it, it didn't, I'm not being snooty about it or anything like that. It didn't spoil the film for me by any means, but it was kind of a, a funny only in machinima kind of moment. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, can, yeah. Can you even do that really? You know, or well, I guess animation can too. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed a lot of things about it. Um, you're right, Ricky. It's, it's not perfect. He said so as well. Um but yeah, given the, the tools that he had to work with back then, I, uh, I experimented quite a bit with iClone in that time period. And yeah, there's a lot you have to cut around. Um, Movie Storm had some of the same issues that, that some of the transitions are just ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, he did a good job of uh, it. If you see like a really for lack of a better word, amateurish. You and I have talked about the word amateur, Ricky, and how it's been misused. But I, I mean, in terms of when you when you look at a low quality machinima film, they don't cut around that stuff. And there's these awkward moments and all that. And it takes a lot of time and thoughtfulness to, uh, to kind of push through and get your story through with as few of those jarring transitions uh, in the foreground as possible. And he did an excellent job with that. He um, sure did. Yeah. And any platform, even today's, Damien can probably uh, testify to this. Even, even with modern iClone, there's going to be moments where uh, that's not quite right. And so, yeah, you, you don't let that be in the final film. You, you figure out a way to change the shot at the right moment to, to cover those things. And that's an important skill that, that anybody who's doing this um, does need to learn eventually. Uh, they do that in real film too, by the way. They I'm sure, sure there's do. plenty of stuff that gets snipped off, you know, because the actor stepped in front of the camera or itched their nose or looked at the camera or whatever. You, mm -hmm. you just, those things happen. You just cut around them. He did a great job with that. I really enjoyed it too. Um, two things that really stuck out to me was a lot of iClone films at that time had this gliding effect where the walking animation didn't match the speed of the camera, so their legs would kind of do this. And <laughs> that wasn't present in this film because he very carefully had things like grass. So when the characters were walking along, you couldn't see their feet and you couldn't see it that they weren't necessarily uh, yeah, gliding up. I didn't notice that, correctly. yeah. Um, so I thought that was a really clever uh work around for that like you were saying cutting around the problems well just mm -hmm. hide it uh when i was getting started with iclone i was doing some of the things was 
having the legs of the characters out of frame so you couldn't see <laughs> their feet weren't lining up. Sure. Um, so yeah, that was be good. And the other thing that is more of an accidental thing, the way that the film's aged, because obviously iClone 4 is very dated now compared to uh, what iClone can do now, is the way that the black and white footage was made, I actually felt like that added something more to the film than it was actually intended. Because it's like, mm. if you watch real footage from World War II, obviously they're very limited by the cameras they had at the time. It's all grainy and it's obviously it's in black and white. And that's part of the, um, you know, part of the, the, the style of that, that footage. And it kind of has the same thing. You're looking at old iClone footage and it's kind of given that okay. aged look. Which that's true. Kind of. That's interesting. To me, yeah. it felt like looking at old World, World War II footage where they couldn't capture all the details. Mm. And obviously that was not intended. It wasn't something that Warlord was thinking about when he made it, but it's something that, I've, at least it stood out to me when I was watching it, is that is something that happened completely by accident. Good point. Good yeah. point. Great point. I yes. think in general, you know, machinima filmmakers are problem solvers because unlike uh, Pixar, in which there are no limitations to what they can do in their animation and their world creation, you have to face certain limitations that the game provides you or the game-based real-time program provides you. And and a lot of machinima is problem solving scenes in order to get, as Phil pointed out, that vision, that story that you want to tell in the way you want to tell it. So I think this is a good lesson in somebody who is really smart in solving their problems in order to tell the story that they wanted to. Well said. Yeah. That was a good find, Ricky. And I'm glad you said it was iClone 4 because I was looking at it thinking, I don't know which version of iClone this is. And I was, it didn't say in the credits, so I was kind of curious. So I'm glad you were able to uh, um, play that up for me. There was no ease in or ease out for camera moves. So if you wanted to move the camera from one place on yeah, a dolly shot to another, yeah. it's all linear. Mm -hmm. And so you would go to some place and stop. The camera would stop and then continue on to another place. No ease of movement at all. It was fascinating. We just had a film that was iClone's past. So we're going to move on to uh, my pick now, which is kind of uh, more of a, a current iClone project, uh, which is an alien fan film called Alien The Message. And it's based on the, the alien films. And I believe it uses assets taken from the Alien Isolation video game to sort of be brought into iClone to you know, sort of create the atmosphere of the uh, the film in the world that it's based on. Uh, it's quite a long film, 40 minutes. Um, I, I did manage to sit through all of it. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys did, but I guess we'll find out. So what do you guys think of this film? Well, okay. I'm, a, I'm a sucker for alien films. Anything that has alien in the title, I'm down. I'm ready to roll. It doesn't make any difference. It can be the worst film. It can be the greatest film. You put alien in the title and I'm a fan. Uh, but I'd had to say I groaned when I saw the length was 42 minutes. Because, you know, I've been complaining over the months that Machinima is really more of a short term. You know something? I had no problems. I enjoyed the entire film and I stayed with it from beginning to end and went back and checked some other things. A lot of effort went into making this film and it shows, you know. The film that you uh, linked us to, by the way, the uh, director of the film is Renee Jacob, 
R-E-N-E-J-A-C-O-B. The link to the uh, film that we watched on YouTube is a revised uh, version, which has a scene cut and a new color scheme, and he's up-rendered it to 4K. However, I went back and looked at the original version of the film, and I like it better than the changes that he's made. Hmm. Um, the color scheme adds too much mud look to the character textures. There's smudging on the body and the face. It's also too saturated, too oversaturated. Now, he's the director. He knows better, but I, I prefer the earlier simple film. Um, it's generally a well-made film. Uh, sometimes shots run too long and animation can be jerky, but it holds your interest. Um, there's some questions about the plot. Why doesn't she arm herself early? Um, if it's one of those things that you don't think about it too much and you'll really enjoy it. I thought they captured the, and this is something that I want to talk about in, in, a, in a, a greater detail is that the idea of the fan film we've modern culture has become obsessed with fan, especially with the internet and, and, and the ability of people to write about their, uh, universes that they love, you know, the Buffy universe, the, the Star Trek universe, the Star Wars universe. People write all sorts of fan films. And I thought if the goal of a fan film was to recreate that experience that you had when you originally saw the original uh, uh, media, then this succeeded because it created a sort of creepy atmosphere and, and a frustrating, you always were wondering whether she was going to get whether she was going to get caught um i liked it a lot and i would like after we finish uh, the round robin uh, review of it i'd like to talk a little bit about what a fan film is in general and is machinima the entire uh, machinima movement a form of fan film so that's my comments and that's my question Okay, look forward to discussing that after we get finished talking about the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. I thought that that the the filmmaker captured, uh, for lack of a better word, the feel of a Ridley Scott alien that that universe. Um, it it the mood and everything about it just it fit right into that. And yeah, I had. I had no trouble making it through it. Um, um, I, I too, Ricky, when I saw the, the uh, timestamp at the beginning, I thought, Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it was, it was good. And I'm, I'm a big fan of that, that franchise as well. Uh, the actually even more so the, the, the prequel series that uh, Scott has been doing Prometheus and whatnot. Hmm. Uh, those in particular, I really, really enjoy um so yeah i mean w was it a little bit you know i guess derivative well yeah but i think it was also kind of supposed to be it wasn't right pretending to be something else and then borrowing a bunch of stuff from the world of alien it was it was declared as uh as an alien fan film and that's exactly what it was and it, it did it very well um i really didn't I don't know when it, when a when I'm watching our picks, 
if the story really gets me involved, I find that I don't really switch on my critical faculties as readily to talk about shot selection or, or, you know, sound levels or whatever. And I found that that, that this, for, for this film, the story just, just got me. I I watched it once beginning to end and really at the end of it thought, Oh, I guess I was, was supposed to find something to, to, criticize or praise here in terms of production values. And I, I just forgot to do so. So I think that's, <laughs> that's, crazy. that's a credit to, yeah. uh, it's good storytelling. You know, I'm, I'm a sucker for that. I, yeah. I, I would much rather be taken on a journey um, than watch something almost academically like grading it or something, you know? So, um, you know, well done. Yeah. I noticed that the workflow included Blender, uh, Alien Isolation footage, iClone, and After Effects as well. Good combination of tools and software. Yeah. Tracy? Yeah. Oh, Damien. <laughs> I know you're not a fan of these kind of films. I don't like these sort of films at all. They're freaky. I got about eight minutes into this and my heart rate started to go mm. up. It kind of really took me where all those original Alien films did and I you know, they're not a good place for me. I don't really like them at all. Mm. Um, and that, and the fact that this has managed to build on that plot very well and take you further in, into that sort of space and time, I suppose, really shows it's not a it's not a bad example of a fan film at all. Um, I tell you what, I quite like the fact that you know the 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 guy had uh, had received. A considerable amount of feedback on on the first film, which Ricky just commented on, um, which was released in June uh, 2020, got that kind of feedback on some aspect of the film and then decided to re-edit that bit out that people were particularly critical of and put another version up. And I think that's also an example of... um, you know, the way that fan culture can kind of work, why machinima is kind of so important because it allows you to interact with your community and and respond to what they're saying about your work uh-huh. and, yeah. um, and do something about it, but Good without point. losing the original film. Mm-hmm. Damien, I know you've done something not dissimilar to some aspect of one of the films that you put out recently where you didn't want to lose the comments that were on the, the, the less than perfect version that you put out and then yeah. you put out another version of it, um, which I think is, you know, I think that's a really good aspect of what we're talking about with, with Machinima. Um, now, in terms of, you know, in terms of what made this compelling, I th- you know, the soundtrack and some of the original, from some of the, you know, the original um, film soundtrack, uh, that was, uh, you know, that always creeped me out. <laughs> Um, the voice acting I thought was pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. It, I, you know, I, I was, you know, I was sold on it really. Like I said, eight minutes in, and that was me uh-huh. gone. Um, I think there's, there's, you know, I was kind of looking at the comments on it, and there, there was a point at which I thought this is a bit odd, actually. And 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 I don't know what you guys thought. There was a comment by a guy called um, Leo, or he he or she sort of said along the lines of, 
Imagine being in stasis, having your bra on for years. It's not realistic, as if it ever would be. Um, I understand why, but people in stasis should be naked. <laughs> and computers uh, look old in the film. And why have a cassette tape recorder? And then the comment goes on and says, you know, it, it's great, but, but shouldn't the technology be somewhere where um, current interstellar travel is? Wow. <laughs> and I thought... That's somebody yeah, okay. who missed, missed the point. I kind of get what the comment is. And it, I don't know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, a freaky kind of observation, but, you know, kind of intriguing that folks would go to the level of detail in commenting on some of the things that, um, you know, this guy had recreated to represent the um, alien world, which, you know, let's face it, when, when did it come out? Was it 79? Yeah, yeah. Okay. the technology. I had the same thoughts about the cassette player, and you know, it, it, it's the technology of the alien films of the time. Absolutely, not modern technology. Exactly, you know? exactly. So you know, I thought it was all of its its time. I thought he'd done a pretty good job with it. How so much they, so that it really did creep me out. <laughs> how did the person? What I'm curious, and I don't want to ask you guys, how did they? It, by emphasizing that it's a fan film in the title, because he actually puts fan film, an alien fan film, is that how they get over the rights issue by using music and sound effects from the original Alien? I don't think it has any legal basis. I think it's just a, yeah. a way to differentiate itself from any official um, thing. Because like the current um, naming convention for Alien franchises, Alien, and then the story name like Alien Covenant. So right. if, I, if they were going to release a story which actually was called Alien, The Message, this is a way to differentiate itself from a potential official I get it. production. Yeah. A lot of Star Wars um, fan films now, um, when the film Rogue One was released, the title is Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. So now a lot of fan films say will have their title, A Star Wars Fan Film, mm. in the same sort of format. So I think that's kind of taken off that way. I got it. Yeah. Mm. I think it's clearly a way of positioning it with a community, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, maybe that's, maybe we're missing a trick. Maybe we should call our podcast a fan machinima podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you guys think? Is machinima a variation of the fan film? Many of yes. them are. Yeah. Some, some can be. Yes, I think they can be. I mean, they're, they're movies shot in a game engine that has a story using game elements and oftentimes the storyline from the game itself. Yeah, if it's a fan film that uses the game and the game world to tell a story in that game, even if it's something like Red versus Blue, which is poking fun at the source material, it's still a fan, it's still, you know, for Halo fans. And it's a, so I'd say that's a fan film or um, The Sims videos there's so many of those and obviously they're set in the world of the sims so those are sims fan videos or world of warcraft yeah um if you get something like iclone i don't think necessarily those are fan films because it's its own piece of software unless you're actually making something very specific like i do with star wars and i use iclone for that but then that's a star wars fan film not an iclone fan film mm -hmm. um, yes yeah yeah i see what I you're think saying when yeah 
when specific characters or uh, a story world or sometimes even settings, if they're very iconic and recognizable settings, then yeah, that definitely puts it in the, um, in the fan film category for sure. Yeah. yeah. Do you agree that the fan film is trying to create the original experience of the film, perhaps in a new way? Um, Sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm struggling a little bit with this one because I think, I think you can have fandoms which are extending the, the, you know, the story or doing, doing new things with the same assets. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, it's not, not a, not a, a, you know, a tightly focused fan film, but maybe, an, you know, what you might call a fandom hmm. as, a, as an extent of something being based within a context. But I guess where that breaks down a little bit is if you're using that same content to tell something completely different, like, for example, if you're using Halo to tell Romeo and Juliet, of what are you a fan in that context? Right, right. And it's not Halo, is it? It's it's Shakespeare. So so film Phil's film Obit wouldn't be a fan film, but if he used recognizable characters in the game and their names and their situations, and then told a story that's part of the game, you'd call that a fan film. Definitely, yeah. I agree hundred percent. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, that sort of blooper reel where the horse kind of goes up in the air, that would probably would be a fan of film because you're kind yeah. of making fun of a yes. glitch in the, the game, game itself. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at what um, you know Henry Jenkins talks about in you know his in his sort of fandom theory, and he he sort of argues that that that, that fans are those that enjoy media text so much that they create content based upon the text and form uh, communities around it. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think you can differentiate content from context from application. And, uh, you know, I think you can talk about fandoms and I think you can talk about, um, uh, you, you know, well, I think you can talk about fandoms as one thing and communities as something else. Hmm. And, you know, Machinima has a community of followers that are fans of multiple different uh, genres of content and context. I see. Within that broader umbrella. Term. Yeah, that makes sense. In, in, in my understanding of it anyway. Yeah, I get it. What Thanks. do you that think? That makes it much clearer to me. Does it? Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Because I hadn't really thought about that much um, as a, yeah, as Machinima, as a, is fan, uh, is, let me start again, is Machinima uh, a way of producing fan films as, but yeah, it is in, in a lot of ways, like we discussed, I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess you can be a fan of, of of um you know if you take if you take uh iclone for example and there's loads of assets that you can use within within it only in it say um does that mean you're a you're a fan of iclone or a fan of whatever the 
the context is that you're painting with the with the tool set? No, I think in general, most people follow uh, Phil's version of it, which is if it uses identifiable characters or identifiable storylines. Yeah. That's when it's fan, like fan fiction, mm -hmm. uh, putting Scott and, and uh, Mr. Spock and uh, the captain together as gay lovers, you know, as fiction. Mm -hmm. That's fan fiction, extreme fan fiction, but fan fiction. I worked with um, somebody in the Half-Life universe on a store, a machinima that we worked on for months about the woman waiting at the gate when you first arrive. And she's asking, did you see anybody else on the train? Did you see any? Well, we imagined this whole backstory for her. Mm -hmm. And we started to work on this film. We never finished it. But that's a fan film mm -hmm. because we're taking a specific character, a specific storyline and extrapolating on it. However, if we took characters that were in, in Half-Life and then made our entirely new story, it wouldn't be a fan film. I don't think. Mm. Yeah, and if you're you're not really making a you're not really an iClone fan filmmaker because it'd be the same as a live action film being made because the director was he really liked cameras, right? And so he's using a camera to film it, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> a camera fan, yeah, yeah. There we go, <laughs> an Aeroflex fan, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, oh, got it, got it, got it. That makes sense. Thanks, okay. guys. All right. And so we've had the, the past, uh, now we're going to go to the future because mm. Tracy, your film hasn't actually been released yet. No, and oh, I yeah. think it's not really clear when it's going to be released yet either. I did try and ask the question, but no answer yet. Just okay. uh, I'm not going to release the, the date when I'm even going to consider uh, releasing <laughs> it, which is kind of a curious comment. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah. So this is Heroes of Bronze um, by a chap called Martin Kleckner. Um, and the uh, the bit of it that you can see is a trailer which was released on the 4th of March uh, last year, 2021. Now, um, Kleckner is a, is a freelance uh, director and a CG artist. Um, he's Czech, uh, Czech from Czech Republic. Um, he's a blender specialist and also an instructor on, on something called CG Boost. Um, but importantly, he's also an ancient Greek enthusiast. Now, what this is, 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 a, is a project, this Heroes of Bronze uh, is a project where he's creating his own content inspired by um, this uh, period of time, ancient Greek period of time, um, as a proof of concept, um, pri primarily for um, demonstrating uh, a set of tutorials um, on how to do the work. Um, so the film itself is showcasing this kind of magnificent, beautiful and, and horrific period of time between these kind of two famous battles. Um, uh, one was, was um, that took place at Marathon and the other at Pla Plate, is it pronounced Plate? I'm not too sure. Um, in uh, around four... Uh, 480 BC-ish um, and what we'll put a link to in the, in, the, in the show notes if you like is this really quite nice interview with Martin on the Reillusion website um, where he gives you a little bit more of the background uh, of the project itself um, but on his YouTube channel 
you've got all these um, tutorials of him creating all these different uh, scenes and character animations and, um, you know, uh, creating the assets and what have you that he's using in this film. Um, so, you know, what, what did you guys think? Did you have a, a look at it? Enjoyed it very much. Um, I thought it was a really interesting and smart way to do proof of concept for his courses, which are interesting. He's got a uh, the course on uh, his entire pipeline for putting this together at Gumroad. We'll put the link to that. It's a four-hour course that uses Blender, Character Creator, iClone, and After Effects. Now, Character Creator is a fairly recent uh, phenomenon that Real Illusion used as a sort of adjunct to their iClone, which is allows you to create realistic characters um, and then and then import them directly into iClone for animation and scene creation. He did a very interesting thing that's a phenomenon I want to talk about a bit here. Rather than use the renderer in iClone, he exports everything to Blender and he renders it in Blender for his final work. Um, now, one of the reasons being is that the Blender 3.0 has a real-time uh, uh, rendering, so you can you can make changes to materials, changes to lighting, changes to animation, and see them all together in the final version of the film in real time on your screen. So you don't have to render it out and wait for an hour for it to come up. Uh, whereas I don't think you can do that entirely successfully in in uh, iClone with the upcoming changes, as uh, 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 Damien pointed out at the beginning, you can turn off things so that it renders more quickly in the scene. But in Blender, it does it automatically. It's much better uh, use of the graphic uh your graphics card in it. I thought that was really interesting. I enjoyed it. I thought it points the way towards a future method of using uh, iClone. Now, iClones and character creators, actually real illusions connected to Omniverse is really interesting too because the, the rendering in Omniverse is ray traced, completely ray traced, which means you could actually uh, Kleckner could export all of this material that he's made into Omniverse and even has more higher resolution and even more beautiful render in it. And that points to a future method of Real Illusion iClone production that I think is excellent. So it's a really good choice. And I'd like to point out that the, where we've come from, with, from the sniper rendering in, in uh, uh, iClone 4, to iClone 7 and Character Creator today. Long, long, huge difference between the two. Congratulations to Real Illusion for, for making that and developing the program so well. Yeah. Yeah, I think what this, this uh, what he's doing uh, demonstrates a phenomenon that's fairly recent and it is, I think we've only begun to see the outcome of it. And that is these pipelines, these readily available pipelines between these different platforms and software. Um, that was, I mean, looking back to the earlier days of Machinima and real-time animation, I, which I can't help but do because I'm old. Uh, <laughs> that just wasn't, that was always the struggle. You know, if you wanted to, uh, 
create your character in one software and then get it over into either, you know, uh, Valve's engine or into iClone or into MovieStorm. That was the worst. Uh, it was really, it was a struggle. Yeah. And, and the idea of real-time animating your film in one software and rendering it elsewhere, no one was even attempting that because it was just, it was just impossible. Impossible, yeah. It wasn't even conceived of, you know? So the fact that here, I mean, I know, I know Damien has experimented, experimented some with animating something in iClone and then doing his rendering in uh, Omniverse. I've seen other people on Facebook uh, uh, doing the same thing, trying it out with scenes and being really wowed by the results. And here um, he's doing that with, with Blender. It's, to me, what's significant is the ligaments, you know, the connectors, the, the ability to connect between these different softwares. Omniverse in general is a great example of that. Reillusion has been pioneering in that direction for longer than Omniverse has existed. Yes, um, yes. They, they made that a priority early, sometimes to the, you know, to scratching the head of someone observing it who wasn't familiar with that. Uh, they would release a feature where, yeah, you can bring stuff in straight from this right into iClone, and, and it, it's an extra feature, so you pay more for it. And people who hadn't been doing that were like, why are you wasting your time on that? Well, they knew what was up, because this yeah. is the future that, that we're in now, which is the best tool for the, the right tool for the right job. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's interesting because while I'm sure iClone Reolution will continue to try and improve the rendering capabilities of iClone to some degree, the pressure's kind of off because if these other tools are readily available, then they can focus all their energy on the biggest strength of their platform, which is that animation. Yes. The scene building. And scene building, right. Yeah. But it but but iClone doesn't need to be a 3D modeler. And it doesn't need to be a ray tracing renderer. Mm -hmm. If you ask me, it doesn't need to do those things anymore. It can specialize on that area where it really is uh, it's it's one of the best tools around. And yeah, all these connections that are available now between Unity and Unreal Engine and iClone and Blender and and then every 3D modeling type, I think now can be brought into every single one of those platforms with relatively little trouble. And as somebody who was doing Machinima 20 years ago, I got to tell you, it was only the gods who were pulling <laughs> stuff like that off. You know? Yeah. The, the, these guys who have gone on to work for the game companies, the, the really genius guys, they could pull that off. You know, Ill Clan could could pull something like that off. Could could custom model something and bring it into Quake Two. And this is twenty something years ago. But for your average person, man, not only was it difficult to learn that extra skill set of of modeling, but then. What do you do with it then? How do you even get it into the game in a usable form? Yeah. That was always yeah. the struggle. And look at where we are now. All these softwares, yeah. all these programs can talk to each other now. Uh -huh. And there is a tutorial online for everything. Now, yeah. everything. 
Yeah. Every yeah. single step of the way in the production process, you can find somebody out there teaching it for free on YouTube or teaching it at a premium level. More and more of those classes we're seeing from these very talented people who are sharing their knowledge and asking for a little bit of money in return. Benjamin Tuttle, who's uh, we've talked about his work here on the program, and um, I'm pretty sure he's a, a regular listener. He recently uh, launched a series of courses, I believe focused on Unreal Engine, but it could be a little bit with iClone 2. He's had his fingers in both. Mm -hmm. He's very, very talented. He's very knowledgeable. And yeah, now he's putting out these courses and it's like a, it's a pittance, you know? I mean, it's, this is, this is college level, you know, knowledge. And you can pay someone like Ben 40 bucks or something. I think it was last I checked for like a, a multi-hour course specializing in, in one task. I think yeah. we're going to see more and more and more of that. Um, that's, that's an explosion right now. The whole, uh, mm. that new education thing where it's not about degrees. This type of education isn't about a degree. It's about obtaining a particular skill set. Skill set, right. So boy, is it an exciting time, not only for someone who's been involved in it for a long time, like me, and there are naturally a lot of gaps in my knowledge, you know, cause I couldn't teach myself everything. Well, now there are resources. It's, it's amazing. Now, now the hardest part is choosing what to learn first. <laughs> you Too know? many choices. Yeah. There's so <laughs> many choices. Wonderful problem to have. Yeah. 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 I am. Um, I saw this trailer last year when it was released and my initial reaction to it then was, this is based on my clone. That's my reaction today. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't look like an iClone render. Yeah. And it, um, what I was going to say was everything Phil has just said. So um, it's one of the things that kind of got me thinking about, well, it's, when I looked into it, and it, it's obviously rendered in Blender. I thought, well, how do you get your content from iClone to this other rendering platforms? And how do you learn it? And I started looking into it and then uh, details about Omniverse came along and I thought, well, that might be the one I'm going to go for. I'm going to wait until Omniverse is actually... Um, you know, more details of that come along because even Omniverse, it's been released just over a year. Uh, it's come a long way in that time. Like, but when it first came out, I downloaded it and tried it out. And I thought, I have no idea how to do any of this stuff. <laughs> and the, the tutorials for that were kind of limited then because, um, yes. you know, NVIDIA had put a few out and then the users were learning it themselves. So when I came to it about seven or eight months later, there was a bigger range of tutorials out there that you know made it very easy to yeah pick up and learn and i think uh phil's also right that iclone does have a, a render and it can do a decent job but i think realization has realized their best use of resources is to focus on the animation side of it rather than trying to compete with nvidia who are producing a platform that is mainly focused on rendering or yeah. Blender, which also has a huge focus on the rendering quality yeah. because there's no way that they can compete with those two. So instead of trying to create a, another tool that is kind of on the level of them, make a tool that works alongside them. And then you've got something that, you know, a really good, strong platform there for people to be creative with. Yeah, they've well, come that's, a long that's, way. 
Yeah. And that's an encouraging part about this too, is we're not just talking about, you know, it'd be one thing if, you know, Blender did something like that, you know, because they're a foundation and it's not really corporate. And so you you would expect almost that they're going to be, have that open source attitude um, toward talking to other software. But the fact that companies like NVIDIA and Reillusion, that instead of, you know, uh, responding to it almost like with competitive envy, they're, they're, making, they're, they're making tracks and, and inroads to one another to cooperate, to, to gather together. I mean, we, Ricky, we talked about this. Uh, uh, it's been several episodes ago, all of us did, about uh, the involvement of these companies with the Blender Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, Reillusion first and foremost. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, you know, it, uh, the software industry is fiercely competitive. And so you would really expect an every man for himself kind of mindset. And these moves don't fit in with that. These moves are more of a community thing and, yes. and uh, wanting to, to foster creativity. I think Blender Foundation and um, in particular, the Blender community are the one that broke the ice. You think so? Yes, I do. Because I was around, what, 12, 15 years ago when Blender was just starting to come up with the um, notion that you could use FBX to move things around and USB to move things around or FBX and then um, formats to share. Mm-hmm. And the open source movement uh, started to crack the ice at SIGGRAPH and different places. And, you know, I n- knew all of the people at Real Illusion when they first started out. And from the very beginning, they were very open to that kind of thing. In fact, they were all over SIGGRAPH. They were checking every other uh, uh, group to see what sort of technology they could work into their current version of it. And I think that idea spread so that you could be competitive and still share. Yes. You know, because for many, many businesses, they're isolated. They're locked down. They're, everything is proprietary. They're not going to share anything. But they've discovered that by sharing, they bring communities together so that their market share is increased because it brings in an entirely new community to their product. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that contra- that attitude and what we're seeing is the fruits of that. I think that yes. contrasts very sharply with companies that I would consider having the old school mentality, Autodesk, yeah. Adobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still listening. mired in that uh, in that competition only competition mindset. And, I th- and frankly, I think that that you know it's guilty as charged for just about every video game maker too. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. Yep. So that's why yep. when someone like uh, M. Strange comes along with Nightmare Puppeteer and is doing all these things of just he's selling it as cheap as he can possibly get away with and is constantly developing it to interface more with other things. You know, it's it's people like him yep. that are difference. driving these decisions at these companies, you know. Uh-huh. I, mean, I think Reillusion, James and John, 
the Martin brothers have, have, you're right, Ricky, they've always been first and foremost thinking about how can we help people make better stuff with our software? And this was an answer and they said yes to it and it took time, but yeah, we're, what a what a wonderful time but to uh, think to be of doing it. This it's a perfect example from software that did the uh, Elden Ring game that I talked about in our news section. Why does it take a modder to create a photo element in the game? Certainly, somebody making that game had to think this. There's this is beautiful. This stuff is absolutely beautiful. We got to create an element in the game where people can pause the game and take photos, but they didn't. Especially with yeah. photo modes being so popular in games now. <laughs> yes. They're huge. Yeah. Cyberpunk, Red Dead Redemption, game, Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Why aren't they paying attention to that? Um, I know that they spent a lot of effort, Elden Ring did, on, I mean, the, the story uh, behind this game is. I mean, it took years and years to make, and George R.R. R. Martin was involved with it. I mean, it's they really spent a lot of time and resources on making that world immersive, making exploring it highly rewarding on a visual and a story basis. So maybe they just well, my my point is is that they missed, didn't see missed some simple things that could have really elevated it. Yeah, no, I think is it has to do with money. It has to do with why should we spend uh, working hours with our crew to work on something that isn't part of what we want to make in the game? Because if you think of it, that's just an extra. Yeah. But that's exactly why Real Illusion is such a more interesting company than From Software's because they think about those things. Yes. That makes them, I'm much more interested in that kind of company. I am too. I wanted to ask you guys a quick question when we close here, and that we've we looked at several different types of machinima from different uh, applications in different games, and we usually didn't have a problem in finding really good films to pick from. In fact, it usually was more than enough. GTA, uh, Unreal, Second Life. Why was it hard to find films for Real Illusion this time? And I clung. I have you know, a theory. I'll go, go first. You want to go first, Tracy? Well, no, no, you go first because you're on a roll. All right. <laughs> uh, thinking about some of the other platforms that we might pick and say, okay, let's let's find films specifically with this Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, even. Not that there's a whole lot of great stuff to choose from there. Uh, Second Life, The Sims. GTA. The list could go on and on. GTA. All of those have communities. Some of them loose, but there are communities that probably came together primarily around the game and then offshoot from that was making movies with the game. And it's just... I think the end result of that is it's just easier to find uh, films made with those because they are, uh, it's not that they're all like getting together in a room somewhere or something. I'm not saying that, but just, I think that all of those end up able to leverage the brand that they're associated with 
to get their film found and noticed. And, uh, you know, iClone doesn't have that. I mean, iClone only has what its users make with it. It doesn't have any pre-existing edifice that was there and then, you know, people added onto it. So I think that that, that may be part of it is, is there's probably a very decent number of good iClones films being made, but where do you find them and how? Yeah. You know, because nobody posts, uh, you know, Heroes of Bronze, an iClone film. Nobody puts that in the title. Mm. Um, we're lucky if they even mention it deep in the description. Um, whereas when somebody has made a movie with GTA, they almost always put that just for SEO purposes. Of more people are going to stumble upon it with that. And iClone doesn't have that basis. So I think part of the challenge there is, uh, I mean, even MovieStorm, as you know, imperfect a platform as it became over time, they got from the beginning that having a forum and a place where people could automatically post their movies all together, um, that that had a benefit. Um, so I, I, I think that, that MovieStorm offset that problem by having that that community that they hosted where, hey, if you make something with our software, upload it here. And then others who will do the same and you'll all comment. They created their own little YouTube, basically, mm -hmm. for that. Um, I'm not suggesting that that's the solution for iClone, but it, I think it is uh, part of the challenge. Is It's kind of like sometimes... Sometimes when we've talked about sound and we say if the sound person on a movie is doing their job well, you don't really even notice it per se. Yeah. You know? Right, right. You certainly don't ask things like, you know, what did you mix this with? Uh, nobody cares. Um, because it's doing its job well. And I think that iClone has a similar challenge in that it, if it does its job right, it's invisible. You know? You don't look at it and go, oh, that's that's iClone. I mean, we might because we've used it, but yeah. the average person won't. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think it's largely challenges like that. I don't think it's lack of films. I think it's okay. a, probably a bit more nuanced than that. Yeah. And, I, and really, you know, to your point about, um, you know, um, fan communities and also your other comments to do with um, their strategy for fostering creativity uh, and, the, and the way that they're trying to grow the market as a consequence of that. I, I, I kind of think it wouldn't surely try to grow the market without thinking about how to grow a community for it. And I, and I think it's really, um, you know, what we're, what we're actually picking up on is the fact that that community is looking at the the um, the market growth side of things as a, a revenue generate, generating opportunity, because there are quite literally, as you said, hundreds and thousands of tutorials using every aspect of these tool sets. <laughs> Excuse me, but but surprisingly little actual creative content in the process which I think is really bizarre, but, you know, clearly these guys that are putting out all these tutorials are doing it 
to get um, footfall through their channels and using that as an as a revenue generating strategy. Um, and they're doing it over and above or or to the cost of actually producing real content. Hmm. So I Almost. think we're in that kind of we're in that that um, you know that point at the at the moment when um, you know they're, they're kind of the growing demand the growing demand for it, but they some point surely got to shift to the creative side of it. So then I I kind of was kind of think if that's if that's the case of, of what they're doing, I was wondering if we're actually looking for the content in the right places with YouTube and and Vimeo, maybe Patreon or something like that is where all the creators are actually putting their work as, you know, as professional animators. Is that what they're, is that what they're calling Hmm. themselves? Hmm. But I couldn't actually find an awful lot of creative content there either. And then I was thinking, well, okay, what other strategies might there be around supporting the development of the creative side of things? Well, one of the ways that we've all seen over the years is contests. Um, so there are icon contests. Um, and does that mean that there's, you know, that that's a way that um, Reillusion is um, inspiring the community to create uh, better content? But no, what they're doing is the contests to encourage more people to play with aspects of the development of software. So it's all about, yes, it's all about the skills and nothing to do with the content. In a way, it's almost like posing as dad's whereas the software is really there to generate income from the marketplace. Um, I think that's so. And I think unless it turns around, unless there is more emphasis on the creative content side of things, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. It's going to it's going to fall fall foul of some of those other kinds of tools, and then be in competition with, you know, maybe the more um, you know the more fan based stuff or the stuff that generates more more fans by the fact that it is already themed. So, say for example, the um, Matrix experience or um, you know, the star citizen type thing, um, you know, where there's the, the basis of a, of, a, of a story, all you've got to do is create the, you know, the narrative sort of thing. So I think this is a bit more fundamental to do with the way that the, 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 the creative side of things is actually being supported at the moment yeah. by, by the growth of these kinds of things. Well, and I have so to say, I have to well, say just alongside it, I also thought that, you know, so the, the the software contest is one side of things, but maybe there's a role here for the film festivals in supporting the development of the creative work using this kind of thing. So I kind of had a look at, um, for example, you know, we've talked about these guys before, um, the Milan Machinima Film Festival, um, and whether or not they permit content to be um, included, that is, um, say, using things like iClone. Now, I don't know if it if it does because no. you know yeah. what they don't allow is Second Life, which is a virtual environment. So, does that also rule out sandbox environments as well? 
Um, and yet, on the other hand, they say they're happy to accept game engines, game tools, assets such as characters, items and environments. So surely that would include iClone. iClone is not actually a game. Even no, if they specifically the... want games. But it's, a, yeah. but it's a tool set, isn't it? Yeah, but even if you were like the Alien film where he took the assets from the game uh, and made a, a film with it, I don't think he would be able to submit that to the Milan Film Festival because even though the assets are from a game, he used a non-game environment to actually make the film. But it's still a tool that you would use in a game context. Sure, I, I see your logic there. That The point of the Milan Film Festival is to align themselves with game-based uh, aesthetics and criticism and philosophy. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but, but they fit in with their college and college atmosphere. Yeah, I, I, I get that. But, but I think they are missing an awful lot of content, an awful on, lot yeah. on the that other hand, fits into that. On so, the other hand, if you look to look at other film festivals, and so you might be able to make something The Sims and you could submit it to the um, Milan Film Festival. An animation festival probably would not be interested in a Sims video, but they would be very interested in an iClone video. Yes. That's true. Well, yeah. I also looked at... Not so much a lack of interest is that, I mean, their terms and conditions, yeah. all of them now pretty much state that if you don't own everything in this film and you can't demonstrate you have written... I mean, it's the same thing mm. from yeah. 15 yeah. years ago, you know? The rights issues, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, mean, that, I think that may be why Milan has has a deliberately narrower focus is because it's the only place... I think it's the only place you can legitimately submit old-fashioned game-based machinima and it be accepted as a submission. And and believe me, I've looked. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have. But I, I honestly think they are, they are missing a trick and so are these um, platforms uh, missing a trick as well because I think they're yeah. pushing the community, which they clearly have, but down a very specific route. And it isn't about developing creative content per se at the moment. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in my reading of it anyway. Well, I do have to say that the tools that they've actually developed are with an eye towards the creative filmmaker. Absolutely. But where's I mean, the there's content? There's no question. Yeah, but where's the content? That's the question. Yeah. If you go to the Realision website, they've got the, the content store on the marketplace. And in the content store, there's official packs, but then they've opened up to uh, approved developers can produce content, which is clothes and hairstyles and props, uh, and visual effects and all kinds of other stuff which you can buy to use in your film. Now, people are actually buying this stuff because people are still making this stuff and they wouldn't keep making it if no one was buying it. Right. So people must be buying this stuff for something. So why aren't we seeing it? So, so in a way, you're saying that the energy that would have gone into creating a film is going into creating content for other people to use. Yeah, but then those that content is being bought by people. So, like, you know, you want to dress up your character in a specific way. Um, someone's buying those, you know, the dress packs or the hairstyles for using. They've got to use it for something. So why aren't we seeing what they're using yeah. it for? I, I do have to embarrassingly admit something that I discovered this week that's related to this, which is when I was looking at Unreal 5 Preview, uh, it gives you the library of everything that you've purchased in the marketplace. 
I've purchased over 60 items from the Unreal Marketplace over the last five years that I have never used. Not okay. once. I'm sure I've got content in my iCloud store that I've bought and then never touched because it seems sure, like... but but I mean that the idea that you never you buy it because oh, wow, wouldn't that be great in a movie? And, and then it's you don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's unspecial. I'm getting a deal. Yeah. And yet I never use it. I've never mm. used it once. Mm. So that's an interesting that's a very interesting idea there, Tracy. You're tricky. You're a very <laughs> tricky thinker. I think we need iClone and uh, Blender and what have you to promote actual film festivals, and that would solve the or problem. start one. Oh, or, or start, start one. one. I think I, I think, think that yeah. would I think that would actually turn the tide. And I think what about a real time animation film festival? You <sighs> would think that that would exist, and it does, it does not. It doesn't. Yeah, it's nowhere yeah. on the planet. If Real Legion were to put something like that together, they could have. As long as it's animated in iClone, it can be rendered in Blender or Unreal or Omniverse or anything yeah. else that people may have figured out how to do. Um, and I would enter that. I'm sure the other people would feel like, let's, let's go and make something. Because they had that contest last summer where it was the lip sync contest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't to produce a whole video. It's just to produce you know, a short 30-second clip. But it inspired hundreds of thousands of well, not hundreds of thousands, but thousands of submissions. Because I think yeah. when I submitted an entry, there were 27 pages worth of submissions already. There were a lot. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah, submitted yeah. it quite early. regularly. But I think the ultimate would be that once a year, an, a genuine film festival. Yeah. With yeah. certain parameters, however they want to do it. But yeah, that would be amazing. Yep. Because I think, I think it would have the same effect. I think it would... If they, if people knew this is going to be an annual thing, because you know, sometimes films take longer than that to make, depending on how long they are. Mm. And but if people knew it was going to be an annual thing, it would be the place to be. And you can have prizes like points to spend in the content store for your next project or for your projects for next year's festival. So you know, you're you're going to get filmmakers will get something out of it as well, not just having their film on display, but you know, actual prizes and things to. Which, yeah, and I realize you have figured that out themselves how they were going to sort and that it, out. It would also be a talent spotting ground as well. Yeah, because at the moment the only talent spotting ground that you're seeing is these tutorials, and, and um, you know I I don't think I don't think that's good enough actually with what with what the tools the tools that are being offered the opportunities that are being offered I think it's disappointing that we're not seeing more people actually produce great content. Well put, well put. Well, Great think, show this time, guys. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that wraps up our film and discussion for the week. As always, it's been uh, an excellent discussion with some excellent films to talk about from the past, present, and future of iClone. Um, so thank you for those, you know, those choices, and uh, we'll see what we come up with next month make sure you check our show notes which has links to everything and also we put a full uh, text of our entire discussion with all the nasties included um <laughs> so uh, uh just check uh, completelymachinima.com and you'll uh, find it there yeah 
Uh, so we are doing premieres on YouTube for the video versions of our episodes. Uh, those are on Thursdays, uh, 8 p.m. GMT, which I believe is 12 Pacific. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, so you, you can come and join us there. We're there in the chat. You can you know, interact with us and tell us what you like about the episode, um, what you didn't like about the episode. Of course, we can't get any better at what we do if you don't you know, let us know. Um, you can also provide feedback on, to our website and um, we look forward to that as well because we haven't had too many comments yet so please send us stuff to yes talk to us yeah um, so that wraps it up thank you all for being here it's been great talking to you thank you um, Damien see you all next time thanks thank bye bye bye